earlier, um, I mentioned that it is uh, Palm Sunday today, and I explained to you uh, very briefly um, the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, to the praise of uh, hundreds, perhaps um, thousands of people. Um, a lot of people, I didn't mention this, a lot of people when Jesus came into Jerusalem were, were actually wondering, though, who actually is this? I mean, they were praising him. A number of them thought they knew who Jesus was. Others were ignorant of who Jesus was. And, and the one important matter that I got to tell you about the Palm Sunday story as it connects to Good Friday is that within a week of Jesus coming into Jerusalem to the praise of really hundreds, perhaps thousands, those very people who were praising him and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, were the ones who said, crucify him, crucify him. In other words... They were no longer following Jesus. What does it mean for you and me not only to follow Jesus and commit to Jesus, but also commit to this place, the church? Because in the Bible, there's a very close connection to Jesus. There's a, there's a, a, a strong glue between Christ and us, between Christ and his church. What does it mean to be committed to both? That's what we're going to be taking a look at as we continue our series on various scripture passages relating to uh, Pathways Vision and Core Values, which is very important for us to understand in these opening years of our existence. So, with that having been said, we're going to be reading, you can look at the overhead, Luke chapter 9, but of course I always encourage you from week to week to bring your Bibles with you in case I draw your attention to various passages that are not on the overhead. Now, Luke chapter 9, we're going to uh, begin reading at verse 57, where we look at Jesus' interaction with three individuals who want to follow Jesus, but in the end, we realize that um, it's, it's difficult for them uh, to do so, which makes us question our own commitment uh, to Christ. Now, before I read from Luke 9, verse 57... I want to read for you, if you have your Bibles, take a look at Luke chapter 9, beginning of verse 23. These are words that uh, I trust are familiar to many of us. They're the words of Christ regarding discipleship. Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus says, whoever would come after me, he doesn't say, that's great, come on board, let's go. Jesus reveals a cost to following him, which is essentially death to self. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but it's true, death to self. What does that look like? Well, let's go on to take a look at our passage. Verse 57, Luke 9, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, that's Jesus, I will follow you. Wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, uh, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, here's the third man, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom 
of God. We learn three things from this passage. I suppose it makes three nice points for a sermon. That the commitment that Jesus calls these individuals to, the same commitment that Jesus calls us to, not only in terms of himself, but also the church, this church is this. This commitment is by its very nature costly. It's going to cost you. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to be costly. This commitment needs to be urgent. It needs to be now, not later, not a few months from now. Now. And finally, this commitment is by its very nature demanding. It requires commitment, yes, and an ongoing commitment. A commitment to the end. Not partway through, but to the end. So what kind of commitment? A costly commitment, an urgent commitment, a demanding commitment. Now, some time ago, I'll be really quick with this, um, when Joy and I were back in Phoenix, there was a pastor in New York City that was uh, doing church planning work in a, a part of New York City close to Manhattan called Hell's Kitchen. What a name. How'd you like to <laughs> belong to a, a place in town or city called Hell's Kitchen? That's what it was called. And he was, he was doing a wonderful work, very multicultural ministry. And he said, uh, he called me up one time and he said, there's a young couple who are nearby, uh, in a nearby state, and they're kind of new in the ministry, and they're, they're kind of struggling a bit in their congregation. So would you, would you be willing to talk to them? And so basically, uh, Joy and I invited them to Phoenix uh, to spend some time with us. And they actually flew out from the East Coast, and we sent, spent maybe, I forget now, three, four, five days, something like that. And when we were done, and thankfully it really went well, and hopefully we were encouragement to them, uh, they gave us a book as a gift, and the, and the book was this. Um, it was called by a man named Eugene Peterson, and I'm going I'm to cite a quote from him a little bit later on, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a great, great title for a book. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that really gets at the crux of discipleship, what it means to follow Christ and what it means to belong to a church that we desire to flourish. So we're going to look at that, that kind of long obedience, that long commitment. And we, we see that here now. Let's not waste any more time. Let's, let's, um, let's take a look at Luke 9 and take a look at verse 57. And, and again, you have three individuals. And here's the first individual that, that, that comes to Jesus. And Jesus is not the one who initiates the conversation with this first unnamed, anonymous individual. But this individual comes to Jesus and he says what? Well, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, usually when we hear that, the, the thing that sticks in our minds is the fact that the man says, I will follow you. Because earlier Jesus said, and maybe the man was there when he heard Jesus say it, Jesus said, whoever come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So the man now is responding to Jesus and said, okay, I will follow you. In fact, I'll follow you wherever you go. And it's interesting, the response of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, hey, that's great, come on board, let's go. I need people like you. But Jesus doesn't supply a, a cynical answer either and say, uh, yeah, well, a lot of people say that, but we'll see. Jesus answers, as he sometimes does in his ministry, in not a direct way, but an indirect way. He says, 
Kids, listen to this. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, has nowhere to lay his head. You know, in other words, Jesus is saying, you know, the, the animals you find, the foxes at night can go into their holes and go to sleep. The birds have nests, but I have, in a sense, I have no home. So, in an indirect way, he's saying to this man, okay, you say you're going to follow me wherever, wherever I go. Do you know where I'm going? Listen, I'm going the way of rejection. I'm going the way of homelessness. I'm going the way of, of opposition, and the opposition that I face, you're going to face if you're a follower of me. Listen, I'm going the way of the cross. I'm going the way of death. You so sure you want to follow me? You so sure you want to pay that kind of cost? Well, of course, by way of extension, we have to ask ourselves the very same question. What kind of cost are we willing to pay to be followers of Christ? Listen, we live in what we call the West. We live in Abbotsford, B.C. We're not living in Ukraine right now. We're not living in the Middle East. We're not living in North Korea. We're not living in China where there's oppression of Christians every day. I read from the Gospel Coalition this past week of an evangelical seminary professor who was walking down the street, shot dead. He was, I guess, the dean of the students. We, 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 are not, we are not facing that. So the question of cost, I mean, what, what cost do we really bear here right now? Not really, compared to a lot of people in the world, which makes, which makes following Christ here in this area of the country and in the West uh, particularly dangerous. Particularly dangerous. Because it's easy to have half a commitment to Christ. And that's the kind of culture that we live in. Eugene Peterson quote, if you could put that up there for just a moment. Wonderful quote, he writes this, It is not difficult in the world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, but it is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest in the gospel. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even our news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in which earlier generations called holiness. That's a great quote. It should make us think. We live in an age where we're... It's an age of entitlement. It's an age of incense. While people have anxiety, still compared to many people in the world, it's a world of ease. It's a world that really doesn't demand from us a whole lot of self-sacrifice. Jesus does. That's exactly what we see here in this passage. Right? And, and we could say this, that... that the very cost of following Christ is the same kind of cost when it comes to belonging to the church. It's not easy belonging to the church, and it's not always very easy to belong to a new church that's trying to get its feet 
off the ground. Now, some of you could say, well, okay, I look at this passage, I don't see anywhere where there's a mention of the church. You don't. But I think it's a legitimate extension of the passage to say that where there is a costly commitment to Christ, that cost also relates to the church. Why do I say that? Because when you look at the Bible, you see this very intimate connection, I call it a very intense gorilla glue, if you will, between, between Jesus and his, his church, right? Jesus said, I am the head and you are the branches, or you are the members. The members of the body can't live without the head, right? We need the head. Christ is the head of the church. He's authority over the church. He's the shepherd of the church. He's the one who cares for us. Jesus says, I am the head. You are the members of the body. Jesus said, I am the, the bridegroom, and you are what? You're the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Um, elsewhere, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the what? You can say it. Branches, thank you, branches. So you see, the point is, is that there's this, there's, this, there's this connection, this very tight connection between Christ. The point being is that the kind of demands that Christ requires of us toward himself are the same kind of demands that he has to his bride, the church. So I'll say this one final thing. I, I want you to listen to this. And I want to move on to the second man. I want to say something about Pathways. And I, I, I think that I would have the elders and deacons' backs on, on this one. Um, and that is, we, we need to understand the kind of church that Pathway is and, and the kind of interests that we have. Pathway is not the kind of church that is um, interested in ease. It's not the kind of church that we just want numbers. You know, some church start up, and I tell you what, the pastor and the leaders, they all have this vision of success. They view the church as a project. We're going to get this project off the ground, and they have the visions of this church that grows into the hundreds and hundreds or thousands, right? And they have this desire for this mega church. We're not about that here. And if the Lord, by his grace, grows us over time, by his providential care and the leading of his spirit, wonderful. Then we'll break off another group and plant another church in Abbotsford. But this is not about self-glory here at Pathway. It is not about just warm bodies coming because, you know what, this is kind of a new church, and this is more of an informal church, and that's the kind of church that I want to belong to. We're not about that. What are we about? We're about the kind of church and the kind of people that Jesus wants. What kind of people does Jesus want? He wants a people who are willing to count the cost, a people who are willing to die to themselves. He wants people like, 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 like John the Baptist who said in early on in his ministry regarding the Christ, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus wants people like the Apostle Paul who says, I count all things but loss in order that I may gain Christ. He, he wants of people like that godly woman Ruth in the Old Testament who said to her mother Naomi, coming from a foreign land, she said to Naomi, you know what? Your God, your covenant God, Yahweh, is going to be my God and your people are going to be my people. Those are the kind of people we want. 
Whether they come, okay, from another church, sometimes that happens. But our desire is for people on the outside who have no connection to Christ, but who want to know more Christ. We want these kinds of individuals. And we don't want people who want to follow Christ for a time because maybe it's popular or they feel good about it, but then two, three months later, they're off radar. We want people who are willing to repent, believe, and commit their entire life to Christ that they may know the freedom and the love and the goodness and the forgiveness of Christ that he offers. Cost. We want people willing to pay the cost. If you come here every once in a while, you're not paying the cost. You're not. We want commitment. If you're in Pathway, you come to worship. Unless you're sick, unless you're on vacation or whatever, you come. And it's not a legalistic thing where we go, we, we go oh, if you come every week, we can check off the box. If you're in good in attendance, well, I guess you're good to go. It has nothing to do with it. You need to be here. We all need to be here to encourage one another to grow through the means of grace much more could be said. Brothers, as, as, the, as the elders have put forward a vision and in in core values, that one core value that we're looking at is being all in. And we need to be all in, especially in these opening years of this church's existence. And we can do this, and it's going to be a blessing to us. Okay? That's the encouragement, right? Second man. I'll be quicker with these men, all right? Second man comes to Jesus. Or actually, you know what? I'm wrong on that. The first man comes to Jesus. Third man comes to Jesus. The second man, Jesus addresses. Jesus initiates a conversation with this man, and he says to the second man, follow me. Now, in the original language, it's rather interesting. The word follow here, a verb, an action word, comes in the imperative mood. That means it comes forth as a command. It's not an option to this man. And it comes in the present continuous tense. That is, it, um, Jesus said, what I want you to do is I want you to follow me, it's a command, and I want you to follow me now, and I want you to continue follow me, following me. So the first kind of commitment is a costly commitment. The second one is an urgent commitment. Now, not later. And what's the, what's the man's response? He said, all right, well, um, my father has died. I want to go first bury my father. The implication saying, being that if once I... Once I uh, bury my father, then what I'll do, then I'll follow you. And we read that, and we hear that, and we kind of go, well, that's kind of legit, isn't it? I mean, Bible does say, honor your father and mother, and that's the way. I mean, if your dad dies, you, you, need, to, you need to take care of that. You need to have a funeral, you have to have an internment, and you have to put his body to rest. I mean, that's just natural. So first I'll do that, and then I'll follow you. And what's Jesus' response? kind of in the face of this man, seemingly. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go preach the kingdom. That is, follow me and do the work that I called you to do. In chapter 10 and following Jesus, point 72, others other than the 12, sends them out into the world to preach the gospel. If you're going to do that, you need to have a sense of urgency about you, and you need to commit, and you need to commit for the long haul. It needs to be urgent. Now, no negotiation, no hesitation, now. So, here's the thing. When, when Jesus says to this, this man, you know, let the dead bury the dead, it seems like, he's, as I said, he's getting in the face of the man, but understand the point of Jesus. He's not saying your father shouldn't mean anything to you, but here's the thing, I take priority. 
That goes for all of us. Jesus takes priority over our own parents. Jesus takes priority over cousins. Jesus takes priority over friends. Everything. That's part of the cost of following Christ. You know, it's rather interesting that when uh, Jesus called his disciples, do you remember the urgency of that with his disciples? If you put that up on the uh, overhead, if you would, uh, the passages from Matthew 4, 18, 22, and, and Luke chapter 5. Take a look at that. Uh, and and um, I'm going to read it, and I'm going I'm to explain a few things about this. Here's the initial calling of, of his disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What's the operative word in verse 20? Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his John, his brother, in the boat, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed them. There must have been something compelling in Jesus' call as the Son of God upon these men to follow him that just, they just, you know what? They just left everything, even their dad, and followed Jesus. You wonder what the father was maybe thinking. If he thought this was okay, he was like, what are you doing? You know, we got work to do here. No, follow Jesus. Now, the second one. Let's go to Luke. Now, this is the calling of a man named Levi, also known as Matthew. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, it doesn't say immediately, but that certainly is the implication. He's working. He's collecting taxes. And he doesn't say to Jesus, after Jesus says, follow me, he didn't say, uh, man, you know, I told my boss I'd give him a two-week notice, you know, I need to do, no, I mean, he's gone. Why do I bring these passages out? It's because it underscores what Jesus is dealing with here, the urgency of following him. Now, this very quick thing, because we need to keep moving on. The very urgency which Jesus requires regarding himself is the same kind of urgency we find in the Bible regarding the bride of Christ, the church of Christ. Now, one other, if you put up the one by Acts, there you go. I want you to look at this. Now, before we read this, bear in mind the context is this. Acts chapter 2, Jesus pours forth his spirit upon the church that emboldens the apostles to preach the word like I'm preaching now with power and with conviction. So pre, pe, uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, under the filling of the spirit, preaches to individuals. Now, what happens? Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, right? They believed, they were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. But added to what? Well, Added to Jesus, added to the kingdom, but I want to submit to you, added to the church, added to a place like this. Because the very first thing we read after that, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. In what context do those things take place? The church. The church. So that later on in verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, we read that the Lord was adding to their number. The word number in the original language, ecclesia, from which we get our word today, church, or the gathered people of God, the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. What do we see? Gospel is preached, people come to Christ, 
People are baptized, and immediately they connect with the church. You and I die without this place, honestly, or die without the church of Christ. No one, you know, sometimes people think they can come to Christ, and then they have a kind of a lackadaisical attitude toward the church. That's a killer. It may not kill them immediately, but it will kill them over time. I've seen it all the time in the ministry, okay? So there's a sense of urgency. If you're urgent with Christ, you need to be urgent to the church, and you need to attach yourself to that church. That means not just coming here and floating with the people, but at a certain point of time, and there needs to be urgency. You've got to say, either I'm going to commit to this body or I'm not going to commit to this body. If I'm not going to commit to this body, fine, I'm going to go commit somewhere else. But costly commitment and a sense of urgency goes to, with Christ and also goes with his church. Okay, one other individual. Now, this is an individual, as we read here, verse 61. This individual says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell or goodbye to my family. Now, it seems legit again, right? The, the man that Jesus, Jesus, he knows Jesus calls him to follow him. And, um, you know, he says, the man's not saying to Jesus at this point, no, I don't think so. He's saying, yeah, I'll follow you, but I do have, <laughs> I've got some home responsibilities, you know, I just, because if I, if, I, if I follow you now, like, Mom, dad, brothers, sisters are like, where'd he go? You know, um, I'm like, just gone, missing. But again, Jesus is making a point with this man. And that is, that is this. And again, he answers him in an indirect fashion. Now listen to these words. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What a simple illustration. That's Jesus, right? His, his teachings are always so simple that children can understand his illustration, but then he makes a pretty profound point. So what's his point? He's saying, listen, once you decide to follow me, you, you can't look back because I take precedent over all things, even your own family. Now, kids, think about that. Um, maybe some of you know what a plow is, some of you don't. Don't think of a modern plow. Think of like um, an old farmer back in the 1800s. I, I came from uh, the state of Iowa growing up as a kid in the United States, and there was, I read all kinds of stories about in the 1870s how they were mostly Dutch people who came, and they came with farming skills from the Netherlands, but they would find this hard prairie, and they had to break up this prairie, and it was very fertile land underneath the grassland. So what they would do is they would buy a plow, and they would have a team of oxen or a team of horses. They put the plow behind, they put the plow in the ground, and it was intended to break up the hard ground. And so the, the, the horses or the oxen were in front, you had the plow in the back, and you had the farmer pulling a plow, and it was connected to the horses, of course. And then there's the word that he would give to the horses or the oxen, and off he would go. And he would plow up the ground. It was really, really hard work. But here's the thing. Okay, kids, you've got to understand this. When, when the farmer's working the plow, okay, he's looking down, but he's, especially he's looking up because he wants to make sure that the ground that he's breaking up called a furrow, so you break up the ground and you put the seed in there, and then that's where the corn grows. Well, he's following it along, but he's always looking forward because, because what happens if he looks back? Okay, so you're going, let's say, 50 feet forward, and you're creating a straight furrow, but what happens if you go like this? 
You're, you're, you're going you're to create a furrow that goes in this direction. Or it's going to be crooked. You want a straight furrow. What is Jesus' simple point here? He's saying, like the farmer, what we need to, to have once we commit to Jesus and we commit to the church, our focus has to be singular. It has to be keyed. It has to be focused. It has to be forward-looking, and it has to be ongoing. So I tell you what, when it comes to following Christ and when it comes to um, to the trajectory of the church and the momentum of the church. I've seen this on a number of occasions because before coming to Pathway, I was part of a beginning work just across the border in Linden about uh, between 20 and 25 years ago. And then after that, part of a church planning work in Springfield, Missouri in the Ozarks region. Had started that from the ground up. You know what happens to the church? I've seen this on every occasion. The church starts strong for the first year, year and a half, and then if the leadership is not intentional and the people themselves are not intentional about the identity of the church, what the church is, what the church should be, and where they're going, what's our default position? Settle in. Same thing with, your, your, with Christ. Seen this many times. You have a, a new believer who comes to Christ. You really have to pay attention to that person for that first opening months, year to two years, because what's going to happen inevitably is after a few months to a half a year to a year, they're going to they're start losing steam, and some of the excitement wears off. And then before you know it, you don't see them in church very often, or their heart seems to not have been increasingly warm. They become cold to the things of God. Same thing can happen in the church. So here's the thing. We need to understand who we are, and this is why we had a sermon on intentionality. We need to know where we are going. We had to be forward-looking. Now, I just want to add this. Does this mean then what we've had in the past, we just, you know, we throw baby out with bathwater and we're not concerned about that? The Bible doesn't say that. Um, even the prophet Jeremiah says this. He said, be careful that you don't abandon the ancient paths. The, 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 the core commitments that you had years ago and also the, commitment, the, the core commitments and the core, let's say, some of the traditions that you've had. Not all the traditions are bad. Sometimes you get younger folk and they just want to throw a baby out with bathwater. And let me tell you, as a the person who's getting older now, you don't cast out all the traditions. That can be a very dangerous thing. What, again, what Jeremiah calls the ancient paths. Right, and you think about we hope you know we haven't done that entirely here. I mean, think about it. In our afternoon service, we're going through a document, a catechetical document, a teaching document that's almost soon it's going to be like 500 years old, 500 years old. But we still use it with a number of churches, even outside our federation, called the Heidelberg Catechism. And there's a lot of people who come in connection with the catechism. They go, man, where you been all my life? I didn't know you even existed. Well, we're going through that in our afternoon service so that we're grounded in our Christian doctrines, in our commitment to Christ, right? Or think of the songs that we sing. Book of Ephesians, Colossians talks about singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Some of them go back hundreds of years. That's okay. You know, we have to be careful of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. You know what that means? It means you pull up your noses at everything that just occurred in the past because it's old. Not everything old is bad. 
but not everything new is bad either, right? And we need to keep moving forward. Here's the challenge for our congregation is to be what we call contextual in our ministry. That means forward-looking in our ministry. That means applying some of the traditions that we have and some of the new things that we are taking on so that the gospel ministry here may be accessible, understood, credible, beautiful, and winsome to those who didn't grow up in our tradition. Is that an easy thing? No. No, it's not. It takes wisdom. It takes wisdom to know how to navigate that. That's why the leadership especially, we know we pray together, and we ask God for wisdom together. The Lord, show us where we ought to go that we may be a vibrant, faithful, and the kind of church that's all in. So I'll leave you with this. The kind of commitment that Christ requires of us is a commitment that is costly by its nature, is urgent, and really quite demanding. Very demanding. But when we commit ourselves to these things, first and foremost, in terms of our commitment to Christ, the person of Christ, but also to the church, we commit ourselves to these things. I will guarantee to you that the Lord will bless that, he will bless us, and he will increase a sense of flourishing deep within us individually, but also as the body of Christ. So with those are the things in mind, think about those things in the coming week. Let's, um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the call of Jesus. We are. Because Jesus has called us. We could be left without that call and be wandering, but no, he has called us. You are calling us now, Lord, to the kind of commitment that you want from us, a commitment that, as we have seen, is going to require sacrifice, is going to require immediacy, is going to require focus and a forward trajectory. God, give us wisdom in these things. Lord, we want to be faithful to you. We want to be faithful to this church. Lord, we pray for its flourishing. We pray for its blessing. Because in the blessing of this church, that's where we find blessing individually. But Lord, we want this church to flourish to such an extent that in time we may plant another church so that our ministry in this city would be, become more and more apparent. And Lord, we do pray for Abbotsford. We know that you have created this church, Lord, not first and foremost even for us and our satisfaction and our joy, but so that we may be used as a means to bear the gospel, the same kind of gospel that we read about in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus says, I want you to go out to the cities and I want you to preach the kingdom of God. So, Lord, we pray for these things. And we know, Lord, that when we commit these things to us, you will bless us. You promise that. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. We trust you, Lord, to answer our prayers. For we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing in response. We're called to decide.